All right, if you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 24. <clears throat> Going to be reading the entirety of chapter 24. Don't get nervous, it's only 27 verses, we'll be fine. Uh, Acts 24, verses 1 through 27. And let's all stand together for the reading of God's Word. I'll read these verses for us if you just want to follow along. Acts 24, beginning with verse 1. And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul. And when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation in every way and everywhere we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him, you yourself, uh, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verily, <clears throat> I'm sorry, you can verify that it is not more than twelve days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem, and they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Now after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you and to make an accusation, should they have anything against me. Or else, let that these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Other than this one thing, that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was a Jewish, uh, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control in the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Our Father and our God, we ask now that your blessing would be added to the reading of your word. I pray that you would give each one of us clarity 
As we study this passage of Scripture, help us to learn from the example of Paul as he stood faithful for you, even in the midst of the persecution that he was enduring. Uh, We pray that each one of us would take to heart the principles and lessons that we'll find in this passage. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we are continuing our study of the book of Acts here in chapter 24. Uh, The Apostle Paul has been arrested, uh, hasn't been necessarily committing any crimes, but the Jewish people basically just had it out for him. And so they've arrested Paul, Uh, they've tried to get him in trouble on multiple occasions, and unfortunately none of their charges so far had been sticking. Uh, Paul, of course, was an innocent man. Uh, They hated him because he was preaching the gospel, and Jews were leaving their faith and converting to Christianity. And so uh, this is really the core reason uh, why they're going after him in this way. Last week, we left Paul in Caesarea. He was awaiting trial before the governor, Felix. Uh, the Jewish leaders wanted Paul dead at this point. They weren't just content to have him locked up. Uh, they wanted Paul executed. And so they had this plot that as he was going to be transferred from Jerusalem, uh, from, I'm sorry, from the prison cell to the court, the Sanhedrin, they were going to attack him and kill him. Uh, but that plot was discovered, and so he was sent away to Caesarea for his own safety. And now Paul's fate rests in the hands of Felix, uh, the governor over this whole province. Felix had said at the end of chapter 23 that he would call for the leaders of the Sanhedrin to come and bring their case against Paul. These are the Jewish leaders, the high priests, some of the elders of the Jewish court. Uh, These were the main enemies that Paul had at this point. And so they come down and they present their case before Felix. That's what we're going to see this morning. And as we'll see, the text today really ends up focusing on Felix more than Paul. Paul starts off on trial before Felix, and pretty soon it's Felix who is on trial. We pick up the uh, the text in verse 1 where it says, After five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and one spokesman, uh, one Tertullus. And they laid before the governor their case against Paul. Tertullus is sort of like their attorney. He's there as kind of their lawyer uh, to speak on their behalf, to lay out the charges. Uh, He's the spokesman representing the prosecution against Paul. Verse 2, when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him. So here's his case against Paul. He says, since through you, speaking to Felix, we enjoy much peace. And since by your foresight, most excellent Felix... Reforms are being made for this nation in every way and everywhere. We accept this with all gratitude. So he starts off really laying it on thick. He's buttering up Felix, uh, complimenting him. Felix, you're such a wonderful governor. Uh, You've done such a great job. We are most thankful uh, for all of the wonderful things you've done in your position. And then verse 4, he says, but to to detain you no further. I don't want to bother you. I know you're a busy, important man. uh, But please, would you settle this in your kindness? I beg you. To hear us briefly. So you can see he's absolutely flattering uh, this guy as a good lawyer would. Verse 5 For we have found this man, speaking of Paul, a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world, and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you'll be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in this charge, affirming that all these things were so. So here are the charges. Finally, throughout all of these chapters where the Jewish leaders have arrested Paul and they've turned him over to the Romans, they've brought him before their court, finally we actually get the charges against Paul. 
Uh, basically, they've determined that Paul was a guilty man before they even had figured out what he was guilty of. Uh, and here they're finally getting to their accusations against Paul. First of all, they say he's a plague. Okay, He's a pest. Uh, he's annoying <laughs> is basically their charge. He stirs up riots. Uh, Paul causes all sorts of problems everywhere that he goes. Uh, in a sense, that's true. As we've studied the book of Acts, we've seen that Paul goes from one place to the other, starting churches, uh, preaching the gospel, and yes, trouble tends to follow him there. Uh, he causes trouble primarily because he's preaching the gospel and people are converting from their false uh, systems of belief to belief in Christ. And so as a result, the leaders of those various religions become upset with Paul, and they tend to be the ones uh, starting the riots. But it's true that problems kind of follow Paul around. Uh, what's not true is that he's the one stirring up these riots. They're trying to claim that Paul was an insurrectionist, that Paul was going around stirring up Jews and that he was a threat to the Roman government. Uh, this would have been a very serious charge because Rome was very quick to stomp out insurrections. The Roman government, as they conquered a particular nation, uh, they had soldiers in place to keep the peace and to maintain control. And anytime any sort of insurrection was started, the Roman soldiers very quickly went in, they killed anyone who was involved in that, and they put that down. And this is how they maintained control for so many years. And so, if they could make this charge stick, that Paul was a leader of an insurrection, that he was a threat uh, to the Roman government, they knew that Rome would order him to be put to death. Secondly, they claim that Paul is a heretical teacher. They say he's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. So he's a teacher of a false religion, a deviation from Orthodox Judaism. Uh, Jesus was from Nazareth. You've often heard maybe Jesus called the Nazarene. And so one of the derisive terms used for Christ followers in this day was Nazarenes. So they accuse Paul sort of of being like a cult leader, somebody who's uh, teaching things that are false. Then comes the third accusation, and in addition to being an insurrectionist, a threat to Rome, being a heretical teacher, they say Paul tried to profane the temple. You notice there uh, that it doesn't say he even did it. It says he tried to do it. And so this is a very flimsy charge. Uh, you may remember from a few chapters ago, uh, when Paul was arrested, they thought that Paul had a Gentile with him in the temple. Uh, they had seen Paul with a man named Trophimus, who was indeed a Gentile, uh, earlier in the day in Jerusalem. And so when they see Paul later in the temple, they say, well, he must have brought uh, Trophimus in here with him. He didn't. Uh, but if he had, that would have also been a serious issue. To bring a non-Jew into the inner parts of the temple uh, would be profaning the holiest place in Jerusalem. And the Roman government had enough respect for the Jews that they granted them backing on this issue. This was the one area of Jewish law uh, that Rome had decided that, that the Jews could actually execute someone if they violated the temple rules. Uh, so if you were a non-Jew and you, you walked into the inner parts of the temple where you were not allowed, uh, you would be put to death, uh, even without uh, the Roman government being involved. There was, in fact, archaeologists have discovered all sorts of signs uh, that were posted around the temple grounds saying, you know, stay out if you're not a Jew, uh, enter at your own risk, that sort of thing. And so this was also a serious accusation. Uh, if they could get this charge to stick to Paul that he was bringing non-Jews into the temple grounds, uh, then they've got him for sure. So they've laid out these charges. They're unsubstantiated and somewhat unrelated. They're just kind of throwing out accusations to see what might stick. 
Verse 10 records Paul's defense of himself. Uh, Hearing all of these charges, here's what Paul says in response. Verse 10, when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. So he doesn't flatter him quite the way the other guy did. He just says, "Uh, Felix, you've been a governor for long enough. You know how to rule in this case. Uh, Here are the facts. Verse 11, You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. And they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. So Paul says, all of this stuff about me being an insurrectionist leader stirring up a mob just isn't true. I was only in Jerusalem for a few days and nobody saw me arguing with people. Uh, Nobody saw me trying to get a mob formed. I was minding my own business, uh, quietly going to the temple, performing my vows, wasn't causing any problems. Next, Paul says in verse 13, neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. And so he says they have no evidence whatsoever to back up these accusations. They say I brought a a Gentile into the temple or I tried uh, to bring a Gentile into the temple. They have no proof of that. They have no evidence. You're a judge, Felix, you know that you have to have proof to back up charges like this. These guys have nothing. Verse 14, Paul continues, But this I confess to you, that according to the way, which is called this, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Uh, Paul once again refuses to accept the, the accusation that's been leveled at him many times in the book of Acts, that he has embraced a heretical deviation from Judaism, that he's abandoned his Jewish faith uh, and, and followed a, you know, a different teaching. Paul says, no, I believe in the Jewish faith. He sees Christianity as the fulfillment of Judaism. He says, I worship the God of our fathers, uh, the God of the Jews. He is my God. Paul says, I believe everything that was taught in the law and the prophets, our Old Testament Hebrew scriptures, Paul says, I I still hold to everything taught there. And I still hope in the resurrection. And and ultimately, that's what this ends up being about. We'll see that in a moment. Uh, So Paul says, no, I haven't embraced uh, heresy. I am following Judaism through Christianity as he is the Messiah and the fulfillment of the Jewish faith. Verse 17, now after several years, so Paul's referring now to his time that he spent on his missionary journeys that we've been studying the last uh, year or so. He says, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. So he's talking about him coming back to Jerusalem after being away for some time. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. So he says, "I, I was doing everything right. I wasn't causing any problems. I hadn't defiled the temple, nothing like that. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you to make an accusation should they have anything against me. And that's sort of a parenthetical statement by Paul. Here he gets to the real cause of the accusation. He says the Jewish leaders in Judaism, okay, the high priest, uh, the rulers of the temple, they didn't have any problem with me when I was in the temple. I wasn't causing any problems. I wasn't doing anything wrong. I came to bring some financial help, he says, to the Jewish Christians here. I came to the temple to present my offerings. While I was there, a mob was created. And the mob came as a result of the Jews from Asia. You remember this from a couple of chapters ago? 
Uh, These guys came from Ephesus, uh, where Paul had planted a church. He spent years there establishing a thriving church in the city of Ephesus. And so they knew Paul and they hated Paul. And they came there trying to stir up trouble. Uh, These Jews from Asia, not the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem, these are the ones that actually started the mob and started to attack Paul in the temple. And Paul brings up the fact that they're not even here. The ones that initially had accused him of wrongdoing, the whole reason he got arrested to begin with, they've abandoned the case. They're not even a part of the prosecution anymore, which indicates just how unjust uh, this whole court proceeding has become. Verse 20, or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. So now he brings up the fact that Paul stood before the Jewish uh, Sanhedrin. We saw that a couple of chapters ago. And he says, they didn't convict me of any crimes. In fact, the Pharisees of the council declared that Paul was innocent at that trial. It was only the Sadducees, the high priest and that group that denied belief in the resurrection. They are the ones who were trying to pin Uh, accusations on Paul. And so this is what it ultimately comes down to. Verse 21, other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. This was the heart of the issue. Uh, It was the belief in the resurrection. As we talked about on Easter, uh, the resurrection of Jesus is the heart of the Christian faith. It is central to everything that Paul preached. Uh, It is the core difference between the Jewish faith and the Christian faith is that we believe in, first of all, that Jesus is our Messiah, and secondly, that he rose from the dead. Paul, at this trial before the Sanhedrin, when he realized that half of the court was Pharisees and half was Sadducees, he brought up the issue of the resurrection. And there he took the side of the Pharisees, saying, yes, there is a resurrection from the dead. I've seen Jesus alive. And this angered the Sadducees. And it is these Sadducees, including the high priest Ananias, who have now come to Caesarea with these charges against Paul. So it wasn't because of anything he did in Jerusalem. It was because Paul taught and believed in the resurrection from the dead. Excuse me. That was the reason that they hated him. That was the reason they were trying to have him killed. Because of his strong stance for the truth, that Jesus was alive. So now Felix is in a tough situation. Uh, He can't really convict Paul. I mean, what's he going to convict him of? There's no evidence. Uh, These charges are rather flimsy. The Sanhedrin had even failed to agree on a conviction. And so there's no grounds for a conviction here. But Felix doesn't want to release Paul, partly because he's wanting a bribe from him, as we'll see in a minute, and also partly because he wants to obtain favor with the Jews. He wants to keep the Jewish people in Jerusalem happy, uh, the high priest and the leaders there. And so Felix decides to postpone his verdict with the pretext that he's going to need the tribune from Jerusalem uh, to come up to Caesarea. And by the way, there's no indication that the tribune ever came up or that Felix ever even summoned him. Uh, Verse 22, Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, when Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. So Felix puts them off. He's not going to render a verdict today. And so in this way, he gets the Jews off of his back by promising a future trial and keeping Paul locked up. Uh, But Felix probably feels bad a little bit because he knows Paul hasn't committed any crimes. And so he provides a somewhat comfortable living arrangement for Paul while he's being kept in custody. Verse 23 says, he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty. 
and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. So this was a politically expedient choice by Felix. Uh, Keep Paul locked up to appease the Jews and give Paul decent living conditions basically to salve his conscience for rendering uh, this unjust sentence against Paul. Verse 24, after some days, Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And he reasoned about righteousness and self-control in the coming judgment. Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. So he keeps putting Paul off. He keeps him locked up. And all throughout this time, just to show you how corrupt of a politician Felix was, verse 26 says, at the same time he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. So Felix, he keeps bringing Paul up talking with him for a while, and then sending him back to to his his, uh, prison situation there, hoping at some point that Paul would attempt to bribe him and Felix could then get some money out of this situation. Felix had no concern for justice. He didn't care that he was keeping an innocent man locked up. He simply did whatever was uh, convenient and politically expedient for him. And then verse 27 says, When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. And so next week we're going to see what happens when Festus takes over the governorship from Felix, and Paul gets a chance to bring his case before him. But for two years, Felix kept Paul in custody here in Caesarea. Judgment Day is going to be a bad day for Felix. Felix represents everything that God hates about wicked rulers. Proverbs 17.23 says, The wicked accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the ways of justice. God says in Isaiah 5, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. Therefore, as the tongue of fire devours the stubble and as dry grass sinks down in the flame, so their root will be as rottenness, and their blossom will go up like dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Felix was one such man. He rejected the word of God and perverted justice. What's worse is that Felix had a great opportunity before him. I can't think of anyone who had more exposure to the gospel and the truth of Christ than Felix. The Apostle Paul spoke with Felix, it says, for two years, regularly conversing with him. Uh, Verse 26 says, at the same time he hoped money would be given him by Paul, so he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded. So for these two years, this governor is sending for Paul and speaking with Paul. They were in regular communication for years. And during these conversations, if you're wondering, what did Paul talk to him about? Uh, Well, we have those answers. Verse 24, it says that when he sent for Paul, he heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And then verse 25 says he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. Felix heard the gospel clearly, and he continually rejected it. Even worse than that, Felix seems to have rejected the truth with full knowledge. He knew that Paul was telling the truth. Again, back to verse 22, it says that Felix had a rather accurate knowledge of the way. So he understood Christianity, uh, the teachings of Christ and his followers. Uh, 
And then verse 25, as Paul was preaching to Felix throughout these two years, conversing with him about faith in Christ, the coming judgment, it says that Felix became alarmed. Felix was a man who was hardened to the gospel. He had rejected it over and over and over. When Paul was preaching and Felix was feeling conviction of his sin, his need to repent, his fear of the coming judgment of God, he would send Paul away. Whenever those feelings started to come up, whenever the Holy Spirit was pricking his conscience, he would, he would send Paul back into custody. Felix continually rejected the Holy Spirit's prodding. Other than perhaps Judas Iscariot, I don't think anyone in the Bible rejected Christ more repeatedly and stubbornly than Felix. It is a dangerous thing to reject the conviction of God over and over again. There comes a time when you cross a line where you can no longer return. As I considered the example of Felix, my mind was reminded of the warning passages of Hebrews. For example, Hebrews 3 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That was Felix. Uh, his heart became hardened by his sin, and he refused to embrace the gospel that he knew in his heart was true. Uh, when I think about this, I think also of the, the concept of a seared conscience mentioned in Scripture. I don't know if you've ever had the experience that I have of dropping an iron uh, on a carpeted floor. That doesn't go very well. Uh, but when you do that, what happens is the iron falls on the carpet and it sears it. It becomes very hard. Uh, and basically, you can pour water on it. It won't absorb at all. It'll just kind of flush off. That's what happens to a conscience that continually rejects God that continually, uh, stubbornly rejects the truth. It becomes hardened, seared, so that nothing can ever penetrate your heart. And this was Felix. Chapter 10 of Hebrews says, If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. As I said, judgment day will not go well for Felix. He heard the gospel, he understood the gospel, he even experienced conviction from God as Paul was presenting the truth and warning him about the coming judgment. And he chose to stubbornly persist in his sin. He sent Paul back to jail again and again and refused to repent. There is no more dangerous place to be than church if you are rejecting the message of Christ. If you repeatedly hear the gospel, if you're exposed to the full light of Christ's message. You hear the warnings of coming judgment. Don't let your heart become hardened. Don't persist in that stubborn rejection or else you will be heaping more and more judgment on yourself. And so, as I said, this text really focuses on Felix more than Paul. Uh, Felix is his negative example. Should be a warning for each one of us. Although in this text, we do have the example of Paul once again as he is suffering persecution, and I think it's very instructive for us. First of all, his unwavering commitment to the truth. Even when people opposed Paul, when people hated him, and when people tried to get him killed, he never compromised on truth. He was bold in the face of persecution. Secondly, Paul was always looking for opportunities to share the gospel. He could have defended himself against the accusations and just beg Felix out of the kindness of his heart to release him. 
But instead, Paul presents Christ, his faith in Christ, the fact of the resurrection from the dead, the coming judgment. He spends two years preaching the gospel to Felix. And consider who Felix was to Paul. Felix was the corrupt politician, keeping Paul locked up for no reason. Yet Paul had the heart to continue begging him to repent of his sins and be saved. Repeatedly, Paul shared Christ with him, even with his wife. And I have no doubt that Paul gave the same message to the soldiers who guarded him and anybody who would listen to him throughout these two years. No matter what circumstance Paul was in, it was his mission to share Christ with those around him, including those who treated him unjustly like Felix. And so the lesson for each one of us is, first of all, never back down from proclaiming the truth. Our culture today is denying truth at every corner, especially Christian truth. Uh, even basic realities that used to not be controversial, uh, they have become controversial in our day. And it's very easy for us to cower in fear because of the pressure from the outside world. And yet we should look to the example of Paul. Speak the truth with boldness, especially the truth of the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins, that he rose again, that he offers forgiveness to all who submit to him as Lord, and that there is a judgment coming for those who re refuse some will despise this message. Some will hate us for it like the Jews did with Paul. Some may stubbornly refuse to embrace it, and we can get frustrated with someone like Felix after we present the gospel. Maybe it's a friend, a coworker, a family member. You continually share Christ with them, and they just over and over seem to reject it. But our job is just to keep proclaiming the gospel no matter what the response is, whether it's rejection, whether it's hatred, whether it is that people do, in fact, receive our, our message. Our job is to be faithful in proclaiming it, no matter what opposition there may be. We're going to pick up the text next time with Paul standing trial before Festus. We're quickly wrapping up the book of Acts here. We're going to be in chapter 25 uh, next week.